is a long passage this morning. And so there's about 10 weeks of sermons in here, which we're going to try to get through in the next 25 or minutes or so. Uh, might need a few extra minutes of indulgence uh, on this. Beginning at verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaking, he says, You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, if you're, then you're in the danger and danger of the fires of hell. And so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown in prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. It's a parallel passage talking about our eternal future as well as kind of a current uh, potential scenario for someone. Verse 27, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in her heart, in, with, with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye or your right eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out. And throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand or your right hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. At this moment, I am terribly jealous of the person who's reading this for the first time. If that's you, I want you to know I'm jealous of you because of the shock factor if Jesus just told you to cut off your hand and gouge out your eye. It should shock us. It's a shocking statement. Verse 31. Uh, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You have heard, also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Can't make them grow back either. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. And anything beyond this is from the evil one. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Well, we have a doozy this morning, don't we? We get to talk about lust. We get to talk about anger. We get to talk about divorce, remarriage. Uh, we talk about oaths. We're going to throw pornography in there. It's a great morning. Welcome to church. This is stuff we don't talk about enough. And so, uh, like I say, we could spend 10 weeks on this. But listen, I just want to try, draw a brief illustration to help you understand how it works for us in terms of our kind of righteousness, self-righteousness, where we're just trying to be good all the time, we create a, a boundary. We create basically a box and we, we say, um, well, I'm in this box. And, uh, and, but we say, well, um, you know, what defines my box? We say, well, the rules define my box. And so the more rules I can keep, the bigger my box is and the more I feel like I can hide from God's judgment because I'm a pretty good person. 
And then, uh, but the fewer rules we can keep, the lower the, the box gets. And so if you were to ask most people today, if you say, hey, do you think you would go to heaven? Assuming there's a heaven, would you go to heaven if you died today? Most people would say, yes, because I'm a pretty good person. I haven't killed anyone. So that's the bar of your of human righteousness. I haven't killed anyone. Not that difficult to keep for most people. Now, those of you who are married, women, those of you who are married, you know there have been times you've been tempted and you've had to restrain yourself. As uh, Billy Graham's wife once said, she said, I've never considered divorce, but I have considered murder multiple times. But the problem is Jesus comes along with a passage like this and he says, no, 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 no. You've broken everything. There is no box. There is no hiding. You're all subject to judgment. All subject to God's judgment. Well, what are we going to do with that? So that's what we're, that's what we're trying to dig into this morning. We've got these four blistering statements from Jesus. You've heard it said, but I say it's like this. Right? So you thought with a little self-discipline and some self-control, you'd be a good person. And then Jesus just puts us under the bus. Well, in these four, you've heard it said, but I say to you, statements, what's Jesus doing? He's pushing you, he's pushing us to figure out how are we going to live life with one another in the kingdom of God. As followers of Jesus, how are we going to relate to each other? And so, several things here, and so, like I said, we're going to just power through these things, so put your seatbelt on, and, and we'll get this done. First one that he's talking about here is about, has to do with keeping good relationships with others, especially in the kingdom of God. So the biggest barrier for me to have good relationships, you know what the biggest barrier for me to have good relationships is? It's me. I'm my own problem when it comes to good relationships. Because, you know, you heard someone say, oh, that that person makes me so mad, or my kids just make me so angry, which is a remarkable Remarkably transparent admission that you have no self-control and that you let other people control your emotions. Isn't that something? Oh, you make me... No one can make you angry. Anger is a choice. It's your decision whether or not to be angry. And so, um, and, and Jesus is saying, you know, the, the outcomes of your anger, the actions of your anger have the potential, your words and actions have the potential to send you to the very fires of hell. So, we're learning here that in the kingdom of God, healthy relationships matter more than getting our own way or getting what we want. We could say it this way. If you're taking notes and you're from your program this morning, you can fill in the blanks on this one. Like so, seek to win relationships, not to win arguments. Seek to win relationships, not to win arguments. It's better to be connected to that person in your life, whether it's your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your neighbors, it's better to be relationally connected than to win and say, ha-ha, I was right. See, I told you so. That's not healthy. Seek to win relationships. See, it's not too difficult to avoid murdering someone, right? Unless the term murder gets redefined to include anger and angry words. And I'll bet you can remember some hurtful words that were spoken to you as a child or as a young person. Um, you know, and maybe, maybe if you're like me, you know, you can even think of times when you, in your own anger, you spewed like verbal death to people with your angry words. And so that's not helpful. And so to avoid that, 
condemnation there that comes from that judgment. I've got three quick points out of this passage, specifically on this subject of relationships and anger and reconciliation. The first is this. To avoid God's judgment, consider the weight of your words. Consider the weight of words. Proverbs 18.21 says, The power of life and death is where? In the tongue. Your lips, your mouth has the power to slay someone or to, or to lift them up. And you know that's true. And so particularly, you know, if you, when you, the higher someone's authority in, in another's life, so for example, relating to children, a teacher, a parent, a grandparent, a leader of some way, that person's words have way more force and weight in a child's life than just their peers. Right? And so think about that. And it's the same even as adults. It's one thing between equals. It's words can hurt and words can heal. But it's even weightier when it comes from a leader. So and if I say something that's hurtful to you or comes out sideways, that's more destructive than if just your peer says that. But what Jesus says is even more serious than that. Because if I say to you, go to hell. Or if I say, you're an idiot. Right? I am making myself the judge over you in place of Jesus. That's the problem. And when I put myself in Jesus' place, that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. It's not my position to judge in that way. And, and, and when I judge others, I'm subject to judgment myself. Why? Because every judge has to pass a test of worthiness. So right now, there's a guy named Neil Gorsuch who's being considered for the Supreme Court of the United States. What are they doing right now? They're testing his worthiness. They're assessing whether or not he's worthy to take that position of judge in our Supreme Court. Right? Now, only Jesus is worthy to judge us on the matter of sin and righteousness. Because why? He lived a sinless life. He took all of our sin. He was raised to life after his crucifixion. And he's now seated forever at the right hand of God the Father. You and I are not worthy to take Jesus' place. And to make those eternal judgments on others with our angry words. That's why it matters so much what you say. Okay, so consider the weight of your words. Secondly, to avoid God's judgment. Take initiative for reconciliation. Reconciliation, making things right, bringing back into alignment, right? It's up to you to seek reconciliation in conflict. It always, whether it's your fault or not. Whether you think it's your fault or whether it isn't. You need to resist the urge to get defensive. Saying things like, yeah, but she started it. Well, I didn't really do anything. It was all his. He just misunderstood me. It's easy to get defensive. But that's not what we're talking about here. He's saying, uh, you need to take initiative for reconciliation. So the opposite of, you're an idiot, or go to hell. The opposite is, hey, my brother, my sister, my husband, my wife, my son, my daughter. Let's work this out. To get reconnected relationally. And if you've... That's whether, that's whether you're in the wrong or someone thinks you're in the wrong. And if you've been wronged by someone else, that falls on you too. Because Jesus addresses that later in Matthew 18. He says, it's also up to you to go seek reconciliation. So if you're wrong, if someone just thinks you're wrong, if you've been wronged, it's on you. Go make it right. And... Um, and I would say this, the third way to avoid God's judgment based on what he's saying here is to keep short accounts, right? Well, what does that mean? It means deal with it right away while you can. Even, 
if you have to interrupt, Jesus says, you know, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. And it's just like, it's like, get up out of your chair, walk out of the church service, go deal with it. And then he used the example of going to court. Make an out-of-court settlement before it goes before the judge, including the eternal judge. Set things right before you stand before Jesus. Whatever it takes. Who cares how embarrassing it is? You deal with it promptly. Keep short accounts. Don't wait for it. So then Jesus moves on. Okay, now Jesus moves to one of the most difficult things I think we have him saying. And he says it multiple times in the gospel. So this is a significant thing. But look look, look at verses 27 and 28 again. We'll have those on the screen as well. But Jesus says this. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully... And I would invert this as well, because at that time Jesus was essentially teaching men. But this applies to women as well. So anyone, any woman who looks at a man lustfully has already committed adultery with them in their heart. And then he goes on to say, so if your right eye is a problem, pluck it out. If your right hand is a problem, cut it off. What's going on? Jesus is calling you out. He's calling me out. Because there's no place for self-righteousness here. Because if lust is now the definition for adultery, we're probably all guilty. We're probably all guilty. Okay? So how are we going to manage this? In a completely sex-obsessed, pornography-saturated culture, how are we going to deal with this? Jesus says, well, you could pluck out your eyeball. (laughs) Well, that doesn't remove the imagination. It doesn't remove the, the eye of the mind. Right? And no one in their right mind would go to the garage, put their arm in the vice grip, and get out the hacksaw and cut off their hand. If someone did that, we would, we would admit them for psychiatric treatment, right? You, unless you're like an investigator in a crime scene and the person's already dead, then you can do that. But I mean, of your own hand, you cannot do that. You, you'd be crazy. And so that's not, he's not saying that. But what might seem Harmless to begin with, right? That Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue or that sexy TV show that just pushes the edges, right? That can become a stronghold in your life that will keep you from connecting meaningfully with God and connecting meaningfully with other people. So when Jesus says, chop it off, pluck it out, he's saying, get as drastic as necessary to not let this set up shop in your heart and mind. Why? Because he doesn't want you to have any fun? He doesn't want you to have any pleasure in your life? Is that what he's saying? No. He's saying that because he loves you and he cares about your eternal well-being and he wants to be in a deep, meaningful relationship with you so that you're not substituting the pleasure that you should have with God. You're not substituting it with a cheap, temporary imitation. You could say it this way. Don't set yourself up for failure. Don't set yourself up for failure. In other words, do what you need to do to avoid any traps. Um, you know, I've learned that sexual battles happen in my mind. And they're either won or lost before the opportunity arrives for action. And so, you know, when a man or a woman views pornography, for example, they're not doing so for any constructive purpose. It's just a moment of pleasure and escape, but it's not a constructive purpose, but it gets 
justified. Because, see, what happens in the mind, we can also justify in the mind. And so it gets justified by saying, well, it's just a little fun. It doesn't hurt anybody. It's not real. It's not really that bad. You know, it doesn't really matter. And Jesus says, yes, it does. It does matter. It really matters. Because what we do in the mind and what we do in the heart is equivalent to what we do in the body. And, and one day, when you realize you can't stop yourself, lust is taken hold, and it can take you to hell. At the very least, separate you from relationships, from meaningful connection with God and with other people. And so if you have managed somehow, and I know we're a mixed audience today of younger to older, but if you have somehow managed to shield yourself from the temptation of lust, awesome. Good for you. I honestly am proud of you, and, and that's fantastic. But it is around us constantly, right, from the magazines at the grocery store. Uh, checkout line, right? To popular books, popular movies, to clickbait on, you know, on your computer, to that guy or gal at work who just dresses, or at school, whatever, he dresses just to get noticed. And you know it, and you kind of like it. I'll be honest, I'm far more desensitized than I should be about this stuff. You might be too, because this sex-crazy culture just wears us down, just hammers on us. We're like, oh, it's not a big deal. But it is. And the devil's temptation to look lustfully at what is not ours to have is nothing new. Um, Jesus was not speaking to people with high-speed internet, right? Or non-stop access to every extreme sexual perversion. He was talking to people who, like you and me, saw immorality all around them. And who were perfectly capable of imagining pleasures beyond the marriage bed. And so for me, to trust God and for, for us as, as followers of Jesus to be able to trust God. To say, God, you're enough for me. Whether I'm, whether I'm married and the woman you've given to me is enough. Whether I'm single and, and hoping to be married one day. Saying, God, I trust that what you will give me is enough. Whether you've been called to single adulthood or you're single again. To say, God... I trust that you're enough in all these ways. Right? If it was a problem back then, what's Jesus saying now? He's saying the same thing. Don't set yourself up for failure. To the men, and to the women, to the youth, to senior adults, all across, when you find yourselves lured into this behavior, you need to recognize where you're headed. Let the fantasy play all the way out. Imagine what it's like to lose your family, to lose your reputation. Imagine it all the way through. It might help. But you need mercy. We all do. Not condemnation. You need mercy, not condemnation. Jesus warns that it might take drastic steps. But he's speaking this because he loves you. And he's not trying to expose you or destroy you. You understand that? This is such a, this, is, this particular issue is so riddled with shame and covering and darkness because we don't want anyone to know because if someone knows, they'll really know what, like, a, they'll know and think I'm a terrible person. That's not what I'm saying. Who you are is made by God. You're a creation in Christ, loved by Him and loved by others. So you need to understand that God's inviting you to a better way. So get some help. Open up to someone of your gender. 
Maybe with guidance, you might be able to speak to your husband or wife. I wouldn't suggest you bring this up tonight at 1030 or 11 o'clock at night. Hey, by the way, uh, hon, I just want to talk to you about something. Please don't do that at that time, because then I get a call at 1230 in the morning. Um, she's kicked me out. What do I do? And that's when I say, go sleep in your car and uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Right. Be wise about about how you do this. But today's sermon really isn't meant to be a sermon about pornography. It's not what, it's not my point, but that we have to be honest about these things that can destroy us. Jesus is effectively saying that we can't and I can't point fingers at adulterers because we're all almost all of us are guilty to some degree in this subject. So it's easy to buy into culture's doctrine that it doesn't matter, it's, it's, it's no big deal, that, that pornography and sex of all kinds is, is A-OK. But it's not. Sex is an incredibly awesome gift of God. Meant to be safeguarded inside the boundaries of marriage between one man and one woman. That's what it's meant for. So, Jesus calls for extreme measures. And uh, like I said, no one's to literally pluck out their eye or cut off their hand. But some of us might need to be maimed, culturally speaking. Maybe some of us shouldn't have a smartphone or shouldn't be online after 9 or 10 p.m. at night. Or you know what your triggers are, watching certain movies and TV shows. We need to put some guardrails around our life so we don't go those places. The biggest shift is thinking new thoughts, right? Thinking of what's good and right and pure rather than focusing on what you're trying not to do. So, Paul says in, in Romans 13, if you were in your r and readings this week, you would have come across this verse in Romans 13. It says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And when you're ready to make a change, start by meditating on these words of Jesus in Matthew 5. It'll help you. Don't be afraid to reach out and get some help as well. Well, then Jesus moved on from there. Phew, you can breathe now. Okay, we made it through that one. Except take another deep breath because now we're going to go into marriage and divorce. Right? So Jesus says, yes, that's permissible. Verse um, 31, you've heard the law says a man can divorce his wife by giving her a certificate of divorce. He's saying, yes, it's, it's permissible, but it's harmful. And especially in that culture, it was especially harmful for women. Right? So the law said divorce is okay. But Jesus is saying, yeah, but by doing that, Without cause, by doing that, the husband is forcing his wife into an impossible situation, either poverty or forced to remarry and just to survive. And he's saying that would be the equivalent of adultery yet again. So, in other words, our actions, while acceptable, legal, can damage others. And that's not okay. If you're in a place where you're considering divorce today, can I just beg you, stop, please stop. Stop, get some help. Because there's no such thing as a good and easy divorce. And anyone who's been through divorce, and many of you have experienced this, you've been through divorce, you've remarried, or you've married someone who's been divorced, you've, it's touched your life in some way, through your kids, your parents, or somebody. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying to you, no one who's been through divorce would say, yeah, it was a great thing. It's pretty rare when that happens. It, it creates pain and damage. So I'm saying, if, that's, if you're looking at that as a, as a solution right now, stop. Get some help. There are times when it is, it is the only way. I, I get that. There are times when it is the solution. But it's kind of a last resort, not a first step. 
And if you've been through divorce, if you're remarried, I want you to know God's grace is awesome. It is awesome that God can take what was a, a brokenness or a rejection that we experienced in our life, and he says, come, I'll bring wholeness to your life. I'll heal you and move you forward. All right. Well, then we get into this comment about making oaths, and Jesus again says, um, well, yeah, that's illegal too, but don't do it. Don't make these promises before God. Because when you say, you know, I swear, such and such, it's true, right? You're effectively saying, I'm not really trustworthy. I can't really be taken at my word unless I add some extra weight to it. Yeah, I swear. That's really how it was. Really? Why don't you just say yes or no? That's what Jesus said. So when you say, you know, I swear on my mother's grave or by all the stars in the sky, that's meaningless. Jesus says, don't swear by heaven or earth or the temple or, or even by your own head. You can't control any of those things. Just speak the truth in plain terms. That's what's best for relationships. All right. How would I summarize all this whole thing? I would say it this way. How, and this is the third point in your outline if you're taking notes. How we relate to others is motivated either by grace or by law. How we relate to others is motivated either by grace or by law. So your blanks there on the screen. When we live by law, we, we function out of duty rather than conviction. I don't drive 40 miles an hour on Shepherd Avenue because I love driving 40 miles an hour. I drive 40 miles an hour because there's a posted speed limit and there's often CHP on motorcycles who I've watched them pull people over. I don't obey by conviction. How would really be best for me to drive a little slower than everybody else? I obey by duty, obligation, fear, right? Well, if I'm living by law, then I may demand that you act a certain way. Why? So that you act righteously, so that I can kind of manage your behavior. Or I may just ignore you altogether. Or, you know, if you disagree with me, or if I, if I don't understand you even, I might just reject you completely. But now, under God's grace, if I'm living by grace, I'm more concerned with how I'm behaving so that it helps you connect with God, helps me connect with God, helps us connect with one another and others. Let me put it this way. Two, two lines that, that might help. Under law, I seek to control you for my benefit or for our benefit, right? While under grace, I seek to control myself for our benefit. Let me explain that. So under, under law, if I seek to control you for my benefit, I, if I say, man, uh, it's, really, it's really hard for me to worship God if you're not wearing a necktie in church. So I have a new rule. Everyone has to wear a necktie in church so I can properly worship God. Shout out to those of you who dress properly today. Right. That's me making a rule to control you for my benefit. Oh, it'd be better for all of us if you did that. So now I'm controlling you for the benefit of our benefit. That's law. Under grace, I say, you know, I notice most of you are not wearing a necktie this morning. And so I'm going to control my urge to wear neckties. You know how what a problem that is for me. Um, I will control my desire to wear a necktie. For your benefit. It's a pretty simple illustration. But this applies in things like our sexuality, how we dress. You know, I, I, will, I want to dress in ways that are, maybe in ways, you know, I don't want to be sexist about this, but you can figure out which gender I'm talking about. I want to dress in ways that are attractive, not necessarily seductive. But that goes, it really does go for men and for women. I, I, want, to, I want to do things that 
are going to help you connect with God and connect with people rather than helping me. I don't want to use you. I'm willing to surrender or subject myself for your benefit. Does that make sense? So under grace, I control myself for your benefit. Under law, I control you for my benefit. And I think that's a large part of what's happening here. Look, all this Sermon on the Mount stuff is meant to simply bring us back and back and back to God's grace. And, um, you know, if you thought you were pretty good because you didn't kill anyone this week or you didn't sleep around or you kept your promises, not so fast, right? Jesus says we're all guilty at some point on these things because what happens to our eyes, what happens in our mouth, what happens in our mind, what happens in our heart, convict us as well before God because we can't hide those things from God. We can hide those things from people, but we can't hide them from God. And the cool part is this. Because we've all fallen in these things, we're all guilty in these, in, in these matters, then therefore we all are equally in need of Jesus. You, me, and everybody else. So only Jesus can save you and only Jesus can save me. Why? Because he's the only judge worthy to take our sin. And so the Bible has this great word, repent, means to turn away from what you were doing and start a new way. And what's amazing what happens when you do that, when you repent, say, Jesus, I've been wrong. I want to go your way. It cuts off that what was behind and we start fresh with him. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. So you don't have to drag on this label with you. The Bible calls it being a new creation, a new person in Christ. And so if you've struggled this morning with these yeah, even this morning or this week or today or whenever. If you have struggled, you continue to struggle with these things, I want you to know you're not alone, but God invites you to turn and surrender to him and follow him and trust in his grace to forgive you and make it a fresh start for you. But, you know, you're also going to need to get some relationships right. You're going to need to stop setting yourself up for failure. And, and you need to really begin to relate to one another by grace instead of by law and control. I hope that helps. I hope that makes sense. Would you pause? uh, Would you bow with me in prayer? Gracious God, I... uh, There's a lot of days I wouldn't want anybody to see what what it's like on the inside. Uh, We all feel like we've got a long way to go, but I just thank you, God, by your grace... You're transforming us. You're sanctifying us. You're making us holy. All who have surrendered to you. So Lord, I just say again, we want to be yours. We want to be fully yielded to you. God, I want to especially want to pray for the person today who is struggling in some of these areas we've talked about, especially under uh, uh, trapped in, in uh, sexual sin or pornography. Lord God, I pray that you shine a light today to let them know there's hope. Lord, you didn't come to shame us, to embarrass us. You didn't come to expose us or to destroy us or humiliate us. You came to rescue. You came to set us free. I think you don't condemn us, but you invite us. And I just thank you for that truth today. And God, for those that, that want to get help, I pray you give them the courage this week to get, take some steps to do that. Lord, for those of us who are struggling with losing our cool and being angry and cutting people apart with our words, God, I pray that you'd show us that this week. And Lord, teach us how to bring that under control to you, to humble ourselves with one another and make things right. God, we want to be people of our word every day. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are the king. 
You're on the throne. We just trust you, Jesus. I thank you that you're the worthy judge. And we, we can trust your mercy today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, seriously, if there's an, if something we've talked about this morning is like, oh, I need, I'm stuck, I need some help, reach out to me, someone you trust, and let's get you started. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, if you've never come to that place of saying, I, I, that surrender song, like that's, I want to do that. Would you talk to the person you came with today or talk to me? We'd love to walk you through the steps of what it means to turn your life from your own way to turn and follow Jesus. Today would be a great day to do that.